let's open our Bibles now for our scripture reading to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17 will begin in verse 1. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I'll make thee exceeding fruitful. And I'll make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee. And thy seed after thee. in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you that you are God Almighty, that you are God alone, that there's none beside thee, that there's none can stay thy hand, that you always do your will, in heaven and earth, the seas and all deep places. And Father, we're so thankful that it is your will and your purpose to save a people through the sacrifice, through the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this evening you would enable us to exalt his name, that you enable us to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, that you'd give everyone here a heart to believe him. As we see him lifted up, that you'd cause us to be drawn to him, that we believe him and rest in him and trust in him. Father, I pray that you would enable us to exalt the name of Christ our Savior, that your people would be taught and comforted, edified, have their hearts strengthened to continue this journey here below. And Father, enable us to exalt the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's right. It's right that we would lift up his name, glorify, magnify such a Savior that would save such sinful men and women as we are. Father, we're thankful for this place that you've provided. Father, I pray you'd always preserve it as a place of worship, a place where Christ is preached and he's worshipped, where your people can gather together in peace and love and with, with unity of heart, unity of spirit, with one goal and one mind, one purpose in mind, to exalt the name of Christ our Savior, to preach his gospel to our generation. And Father, we pray for those that you brought in the time of trouble and trial. We pray for Tammy and her sister. Father, we pray you'd heal, that you'd comfort the heart. We continue to pray for our brother Deep Parks, that you'd, Father, we pray you'd heal his body. 
And we especially pray that you'd give grace for the hour. You have promised that your grace is sufficient. We pray you'd give him and his family grace that is sufficient for these dark hours. And others that need you especially. Father, there there are so many. It's easy for us to see in this flesh we are a poor and needy people. Father, we look to thee to supply our, our every need. To heal, to comfort, to lead and guide and direct. Now all these things we ask in that name which is above every name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, Covenant Theology. You know, theologians love to use big words like that, covenant theology. And covenant theology means this. It means that the God of the Bible is a covenant God. God being a covenant God simply means this. What God does in time is what God purposed and promised he would do before he created anything. Now, there are two covenants. You know, the writers talk about so many different covenants, a covenant with Adam, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with David, a covenant of grace. There are only two covenants. There's the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace. And all these other covenants that are talked about here are pictures of those things, the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace. Now, God made the covenant of the law with Adam, with man. Do and live. Obey and live. Disobey and die. Well, man could not hold up our end of the covenant, could we? Adam disobeyed God. We cannot obey God. Adam fell, and when he fell, we all fell in him. Adam died spiritually, and when he died, we all died in him. So all men are under the condemnation of the law because of the covenant of the law. Well, thankfully, there's a second covenant. The covenant of grace. Now the covenant of grace is not a covenant between God and man. The covenant of grace is a covenant that God made with God. This is a covenant that God made with himself between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before God created anything. And in that covenant, you know, a covenant is a promise. In that covenant, God made a promise that he would save the people that he elected to save by his grace. That he would save them through the merits, through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh. And all, now that was God's promise. That's his covenant. That's what God says I'm going to do before he created anything. Then God created Adam. And all the events of human history, as they unfold, they're simply God keeping his promise and doing what he promised he'd do. Saving his people by his grace. And I point that out so we'll know this. God never reacts to what men do. You know, men don't do something that was unexpected and God has to change his plans and react to this. To You know, he's not always just up there constantly pulling levers and trying to keep men from derailing his plan. God never reacts to anything that men do. This is a mystery that only God could do. Men act of their own free will, and when they do, they do exactly what God purposed for them to do before he created anything. That's the way it is. All the events of providence, everything people do, every change in weather, just everything you can think of that happens in God's creation is simply God carrying out his will and his purpose and his promise to save his people by his grace that's in Christ Jesus. 
and all the events that we read about in history, all the events that happened to us today, all those events, they have to happen exactly the way that they've happened in order for God's people to be saved. Now, I don't, we don't understand that most of the time, do we? God does something and, I mean, look as hard as we can, just squint at it as hard as we can. We cannot see how is it God's going to bring good out of this. How is it even possible? We don't see it most of the time. But I'll tell you this, when we get to glory and we see things like God sees them, we're going to look and we're going to see God did everything perfectly. Everything happened just exactly like it should happen. We'll see in that day, our God has done all things well. And he worked them together to accomplish the redemption of his people and to glorify his son in doing it. That's covenant theology. That's why God does everything that he does. Now in our text tonight, God reveals his covenant of grace to Abraham. This is a covenant of grace that glorifies God and the salvation of his people. And this promise is not just made to Abraham. It's made to all of us who believe. I'm going to give you a few points here on, the, on God's covenant of grace. Number one is this. It's God's covenant. It's God's covenant. In verse 2, God says, I will make my covenant between me and thee. It's my covenant. Verse 4, he says, as for me... Behold, my covenant is with thee. God's covenant is God's covenant. And he does all of the work to fulfill this covenant. The terms of this covenant are all fulfilled by God. Man does none of it. This is God's covenant. And God says in this covenant, Abraham, I will multiply thee exceedingly. In verse 5, at the, he says uh, at the end of verse 5, for a father of many nations, have I made thee? I'm going to do it, but he doesn't say I'm going to do this, does he? Abraham doesn't even have a single child yet. And God speaks in the past tense, I have made thee a father of many nations. This is, this is God's doing. In verse seven, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee. I'm going to fulfill all the terms of this. In verse 8, he says, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, I'm going to give that to them and I will be their God. They're not going to choose to make me their God. I will be their God. See, that's God promising grace to his people and then God doing all the work to fulfill his covenant of grace. He fulfilled all of the requirements. See, God's covenant is not made between God and men in the sense that God says, well, I will do this if you will do this. We already saw that didn't work with Adam, did it? It's not going to work. God doesn't say, you know, if you do this right, then I will do this right. If you hold up your end of the bargain, then I'll do this. Men and God aren't in this thing together. This is God's covenant. And God fulfills the covenant of grace. Here is how God's covenant of grace reads. I will and you shall. God says, I will save you and you shall be saved. I will give you life and you shall live. I shall 
bless you exceedingly. And you shall be blessed. I will and you shall. I will keep you. And you shall be kept. That's God's covenant of grace. That's how the contract reads. I will and you shall. And you know what? That kind of covenant is the only covenant that saves a sinner. I mean a real sinner now. That's the only kind of covenant that that can save a dead sinner. It's God doing all of the work. It's God making a promise and then God keeping it for his people. And you know that's just exactly what God did. The father chose a people to save. He said it is my will to save these people. But now in order for the father to accept those sinful people. They can't come into God's presence as they are. They've got to be made righteous. They've got to be made holy because that's God's character. God will not accept anything less. So God the Son, in time, came to earth as a man. As a man, made under the law, he fulfilled every requirement of God's law. In every jot, and every tittle. Not only did he keep it, he did it gleefully. He did it joyfully. He honored the law and magnified it. I got to tell you this little story. We have this week, Jan and I have our um, great nephew. He's four years old, staying with us. I was telling Claire about just before the service. He'd been with us since Monday. Finally today, he decided he's going to have a battle of wills with Aunt Jenny. And it didn't take him long to figure out he's not going to win. And she told him what he had to do. And he did it. With this look on it. He did it, but you know. That's not exactly obedience, is it? <laughs> not in here. You think what it took for the Son of God to save the likes of you and me. You think how it had to grate on his last nerve to live in the cesspool of sin all around him. You think how what he suffered. We've been studying there in Matthew, just as he thought about it, just as he thought about being made sin, he sweat great drops of blood. He told his disciples, pray with me, I'm afraid I'm going to die for him. Get to the cross, just thinking about this. And he didn't obey his father. He didn't go to the cross ever. He went joyfully. He he honored the law and magnified it. He made his people righteous in his obedience. He died to satisfy justice for them. So there's nothing keeping them from God. He made them the righteousness of God in him. Now that happened 2,000 years ago. God's people are born into this world and they're born dead in sin, aren't they? I mean, they're dead in sin. So the Holy Spirit comes and He applies what the Father purposed. He applies what the Son purchased to their hearts and gives them the new birth through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Somebody's telling people who Christ is and the Holy Spirit moves and He gives life where there was none before. He gives faith in Christ where there was none before. And they believe. They see. They say, I see. And they believe. See, that's God doing all the work in salvation and man doing none of it. That's why God's God's covenant is sure. All right, number two, God's covenant is a covenant of grace. 
We didn't read these verses, but look over verse 18. Genesis chapter 17. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard thee. Behold, I've blessed him, and I'll make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I'll make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Now remember in Galatians chapter 4, we looked at this last week, Paul told us that Ishmael represents the covenant of works. Isaac represents the covenant of grace. Well, the covenant of works can't save anybody. There's nothing that's, that's established there except wrath and damnation. Now, Abraham asks, he, you know, he loves Ishmael. This is his son. He loves Ishmael. And he asked God to, you know, for, to, to bless Ishmael. And God did. He blessed Ishmael physically and materially. He blessed him greatly. He made a great nation of this man. But God says, I'm going to give these material blessings to Ishmael. I'm going to establish my covenant, my covenant of grace with Isaac. Because Isaac is the child of promise. Isaac is the picture of salvation by grace. Isaac was produced by God. He's not produced by man. He's produced by God. Isaac was born by the power of God. He wasn't born by the power of flesh like Ishmael was. Isaac's born by the power of God. Born to a mother that's 90-some years old. Isaac is the product of God's grace, not man's works. That's why the covenant is established with Isaac. And all of that, you see, that's what salvation is, isn't it? Salvation is by God's grace. It's a free gift God gives his people. It's not something that they earn by their works. He gives it to them freely. Christ earned it. God gives it to his people freely. Our salvation is accomplished by the power of God. Not by our power, but by the power of God. And you know that's the only way salvation can be sure. If salvation is by grace. Let me show you that in Romans chapter 4. I've told you so many times, I like a sure thing. Well, there's nothing more sure than salvation by grace. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, that's why I told you earlier, God's covenant is not just for Abraham. It's for everybody who has faith like Abraham. It's everybody who believes God like Abraham did. It's everybody who God has saved the same way he saved Abraham, by grace. And that's the way every believer will tell you they've been saved. They've been saved by God's grace alone. And this is what makes salvation sure. The Lord did all the work. He hasn't left one work left for you and me to do in order to be saved. He did it all. It's already finished. And instead of making us earn it, work to deserve it, 
He gives it to us as a free gift of his grace. Because his covenant is a covenant of grace. Now here's the third thing. Look back in our text. Genesis 17. God's covenant is a specific covenant. You know, God's covenant is not a covenant that concerned every son of Adam. God's covenant was a covenant with God. And it concerned Abraham. It wasn't for everybody now. It concerned Abraham and only Abraham. In verse 2, God says, I'll make my covenant between me and thee. This is for you, Abraham, for your seed after you. God's not making these, this promise to as many men as will decide to believe him like Abraham believed him. God's not making this promise to just everybody who, you know, might decide to, uh, to bow to him and submit to him like Abraham did. This covenant, this promise of grace is to a specific person. It's specifically to Abraham. He's the one that's concerning and he's the one who will be blessed by it. And God's covenant, this promise of grace, is to every believer. That's the Abraham spiritual seed after him. If you believe God, this promise is to you. Just as surely as it was to Abraham. God speaking audibly to Abraham. You think of that. But if you believe God, you trust Christ, this promise is to you and as sure to you as it was to Abraham. You think about that. Where's Abraham now? He's with the Lord. You believe Christ, you're going to be there one day too. That's how sure this thing is. It's a specific covenant to a specific people. The Father chose a specific people to save. He didn't choose X number of sinners to be saved. It's first come, first served. When it's all filled up, then that's it. It's like those folks about the 144,000. Well, 144,000 has probably already been filled up. I mean, (laughs) that's not it. God chose a specific people to save. By name. Individually. Specifically. And those people shall be saved. It's the covenant. I will and you shall. God's not trying to save as many people as might decide to accept him as their personal savior. God promised to save a specific people. And he's going to save those people. That's God's promise of grace to them. I will and you shall. You shall. You specifically. You who believe. And you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to come to pass. Because God always keeps his promise. All right, here's the fourth thing. God's covenant is a saving covenant. This covenant promises to save many. You know, God's grace can't be kept in some small storage facility somewhere. God's grace is boundless. There's an endless supply of it. God's promise, when, uh, this, is a, this is something now. This is a large promise. When God promises grace sufficient to save all of his people, that's a large promise. That's a bunch of grace. When God promises grace sufficient for the hour. He's not promised always to heal. He's not promised always to deliver, has he? But he's promised grace sufficient. Well, that's a bunch of grace. We're, we're a needy people, aren't we? That's a bunch of grace. There's plenty. 
There's plenty. There's plenty to go around. God will never run out of grace. This covenant that God is talking to Abraham about, he's talking about a large number of people. God didn't tell Abraham, you're just going to have one son. He said, Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants, you can't count them all. In verse 2, he says, I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I'll multiply thee exceedingly. In verse 4, he says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Not just, not just one son, not just one nation, many nations. Verse 5, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. This covenant God's talking about is talking about saving a bunch of people. And just, it's a number no man can count. Now, this is talking both about Abraham's spiritual descendants and his physical descendants. Both of them. You can't count them all, can you? They're everywhere. Now, remember this. God's covenant is a covenant between God and God. God's covenant is made with one. He made it with his son. But it's a covenant made for the benefit of many. It's a covenant between God and God. But it's concerning God's elect. And that's a number no man can number. The father chose a people to save. He, he, God is so gracious. He's so loving. He's so merciful. When God chose a people to save. He chose a number of people. There's so many we can't count them. That's how gracious God is. But the sin of those people has to be put away by just one sacrifice for sin. In three hours on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ saved that entire number no man can number. His person is so precious. His blood is so precious. His, his person is so powerful. In three hours, he endured an eternity of hell and put away the sin of his people. All of God's elect, all of their sin, of all of that innumerable people by just one sacrifice. The obedience of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was enough to make all those people righteous, perfectly righteous. The blood of Christ is so pure, it washed all of God's elect white as snow. Now that's what God promised to do in his covenant of grace. And God fulfilled every, everything necessary in that covenant. He did all the work and all of God's elect benefited. They all benefited equally. And I'll tell you, when the Lord is pleased that to reveal, and when He is pleased to reveal that to us, you know what we'll do? We'll worship. God starts talking to Abraham and look what, in verse three. And Abram fell on his face. When he heard God say, I'm going to make my covenant between me and thee. I'll multiply thee exceedingly. He started understanding about God's covenant of grace. And he fell on his face in worship. And you and I are never going to worship till we see that. We're in God's hand to do with as he pleases. And whatever he does is just and right. If he purposed to save us by his grace, 
He's pleased to reveal his son to us and in us. We'll do the same thing our father Abraham did. We'll fall on our face and worship. Then here's the fifth thing. God's covenant of grace is a changing covenant. In verse 5, he says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now God revealed his covenant, his promise of grace to Abram. But this covenant changed everything for Abram. Before God revealed this covenant to Abraham here at this time, everybody called Terah's son Abram. But when God revealed his covenant of grace to Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. And his name is changed. This is what it means. A father of a multitude. Now it sure didn't look like it at the time, did it? Abraham still didn't have a son. Sarah's still not pregnant. Doesn't look like she ever could be. And for a year after this, Abraham still had no son. For a year, Abraham would go to town and somebody would see him and snicker and say, hey, they're a father of a multitude. And they'd turn to their buddies. What a name for a childless old man that can't have any children. <laughs> He'd change his name to the father of, of, of a multitude. But Abraham was the father of a multitude, wasn't he? Because that's what God made him. And the Lord Jesus Christ saved his people so completely. Scripture says... We're made the righteousness of God. I mean, man is so convoluted and dead in sin, we somehow make degrees of righteousness. There are no degrees of righteousness. You either are or you're not. You're either perfect or you're not perfect. So if you want to say it this way, if you believe Christ, you're as righteous as God himself. Made the righteousness of God in him. And when Christ died for his people, he made everything new. Just like Abraham, us who believe, we got a new name. No more are we called the sons of Adam. No more are we fallen and dead in sin. Jeremiah said, this is the name wherewith she shall be called. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Now I know it may not look like it, when you look at us in the flesh, people might look at us and, and snicker and say, Hi there, the Lord our righteousness. Hi there, Jehovah Sidkenu. That's, that's quite a name for such a sinful person, isn't it? But you know what? That's exactly what God has made. Past tense, already made his people. Made them to be the righteousness of God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled every requirement. We couldn't fulfill one of them. Christ fulfilled all of them. He was made sin for God's elect. He took it away from them and put it away by his sacrifice. So he made his people righteous. Changed them in every way, didn't he? That's, that's quite a covenant. Then the sixth thing is this. God's covenant is an everlasting covenant. God made this covenant, this promise between God and God when there was nobody but God. So that tells us it has to, all the covenant has to depend on God because there was nobody else to make the covenant with except God. And God knew he would keep his promise. God knew nothing will stop his will from happening. 
So in the mind of God, God's people were saved. They were righteous. They were justified before God created anything. And they were. They were. And we're using some big theological terms tonight. Covenant theology. Here's another one for you. Eternal justification. That'll turn some people on their ears. Eternal justification. And this is what that means. God's elect were justified before they were ever born. Because justification is the work of God. It's not the work of the flesh. Eternal justification. People get all bent out of shape, but I'm telling you, I love it. I love it. Because eternal justification is the only way a sinner can be justified. Because God can't change. If God sees you as justified right now, He's always seen you as justified. Because God can't change. And someone will say, well, you can't say that. Then that means, you know, Christ, you know, sacrifice is not necessary. There's got to be a sacrifice. You know, no, there are people say, no, nobody was justified till Christ died on the cross. Hang on a minute. In the mind and purpose of God, that happened in eternity. That's why Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yes, there must be a sacrifice in time, but God will see to it. God will see to it. It's going to happen. And then they say, what about faith and repentance? You can't say somebody's justified if they haven't believed God. Well, God will see to it. God will grant repentance. The Holy Spirit will, will give faith. But brother, you're not justified when you believe God. You're justified when God said you're justified. He just let you in on it when he gave you faith in Christ. That's all it is. It'll happen. It'll happen. God, God, God's son's going to offer the sacrifice. It'll put away sin. The Spirit's going to come and give God's people faith in life. You know why? God promised He's going to do it in eternity. Then He will. See, God's covenant of grace is eternal. And we think of eternal as it doesn't have an ending. Well, remember this. It doesn't, eternal means it doesn't have a beginning either. And since it will never end, the salvation of God's people is sure. God's not like you and me. He's not going to decide one day to change his mind and cast out the people which he foreknew. He'll never do it. This is an eternal covenant. He'll never cast his people away. Then here's the last thing. God's covenant is a keeping covenant. In verse 9, God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is what he's telling Abraham. Abraham, you and your descendants, you're going to keep my covenant because I'm going to keep you. See, I will and you shall. Abraham, your descendants are going to be just like you. They're going to be a sinful people. They're going to be weak in faith. They'll turn for me at the drop of a hat. They'll run down there to Egypt looking for something, you know, just, just like you did. And Abraham... They will not deserve the least of my mercies. But I will be merciful to them anyway. I'm going to give them this land. I'm going to bring them to the brink of it. And they're going to rebel against me. And they won't deserve it. But I'm going to give it to them anyway. Because I promised to give it to them. <laughs> and I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my promise of grace. Even though sinners don't deserve it. Because it's not going to depend on the sinner. 
See, my mercy and my grace does not depend on the sinner, on the character of the sinner, on the works of the sinner. It depends on God. God says it depends on me. It depends on my character. It depends on my work, the work of my son. That's why I must be gracious to them, even though they don't deserve it. They don't, but Christ does. God promised to save a people. And the very son of God came and he ratified God's covenant with his own blood. Christ shed his blood and he sealed. It's just like those old kings would get that wax and they put their seal in it. It's done. It can't be changed. The covenant of grace is sealed in the blood of Christ. God the Holy Spirit comes to the preaching of the gospel and gives God's people life and faith in Christ. He gives to them what Christ bought for them with his precious blood. But oh my... Those people are a mess. I mean, they're a sinful people. They're they're weak in faith. They could tear up an anvil. They'll turn from God and turn to their self-righteousness even after they believed on Christ. They'll come to the worship service faithfully and somehow turn that into self-righteousness. Look at me. God's blessing me because I never miss a service, you know. They, they come to worship God and turn it into self-righteousness. I mean, we're a mess. God takes his word and has it preached to us to reveal his son to us. His son. It's all about my son. And we want to argue about when's a man justified. They're not going to deserve the least of God's mercies. They can't keep their eye on the ball. But God's going to keep them anyway. And just like Israel bold, he's going to give his people today the promised land. Not that land over there they're fussing and fighting over. Heaven. He's going to give us the promised land. And we're going to walk over on dry ground. And you know why God's going to do that? You know why God's going to give that to his people for an everlasting possession? Because that's what he promised to do. That's what the son purchased. And that's what he's going to give them. Covenant theology is a pretty good thing if you keep it simple, isn't it? (laughs) All right, let's bow together. Our Father, oh, how we thank you for your covenant. Your covenant of grace that saves your people in spite of who we are and what we've done. But it's all because of the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how we thank you. And how I pray, Father, that you'd be merciful. That you'd be merciful to people here. You promised you're going to save your people by your grace. Father, I pray you'd be gracious to us here. To each one of us here. As we leave here, Father, that you would grant us faith to believe the Lord Jesus Christ. To Quit trusting our works of the flesh. To quit trusting in the power of the flesh. And trust wholly and completely in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name, for his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.